Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Good morning, City Walk Church. How are we doing this morning? All right. Well, I am glad that you're here, and as several people have said, this is our first of what we'll probably do about once a quarter, a family service, and so we're so excited to have uh, the young people in here. They'll help keep mom and dad awake and grandma and grandpa awake during this time, so that's, that's going to be fun. Uh, and then we've, like they said, we've got some popsicles afterwards. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but we are... Uh, about halfway through 2019. And so if you're a Christmas fan like I am, you're already starting to dust off some of it. My wife hates this, but I, I try to sneak in a few Christmas songs even in the month of July. And I know it's illegal and you're not supposed to until like at least November. But, but we're halfway through and it seems like it's gone very quickly through 2019. And if you're a goal setter and if you set out at the beginning of this year for some goals, if there were some pounds you were trying to lose or some money you were trying to save or maybe some other goals that you had, man, you're you're halfway through the year and so you get a chance to evaluate and say, you know what, I threw the towel in on that one about February and I ain't picking that one back up. Or maybe it's a time for you to evaluate and say, man, I'm doing really good and I'm going to keep and finish this year strong. One of the goals that I promise you didn't make for 2019 was you did not make a goal to be more ordinary in 2019 than you were in 2018. Nobody here, in fact, no one ever wants to be, nobody in here said, you know what, if I could sit the bench about 15% more of the time on my team than I did last year, if I could not do well and I could just fit in and be ordinary, that's what my goal is. If I, I know I made a B-plus average last year, but you know what? That's a little bit too, I stood out too much, so I'd like to, if I could just get to a C average for this year, that's really, or business. You know what? I, I made this much. If I could make about 15% less this year, then, then I'd love that. I just want to fit in and kind of be ordinary. Nobody sets out at the beginning of the year to be ordinary. Nobody wants to be ordinary. That's why on social media you will take a picture five times to get just the right angle so that you don't seem ordinary and your spontaneous picture looks great. In fact, if if you... And we're all suckers for this. If you One reason I know we don't like ordinary, if you walk into a store... And marketers know this. If they just put the word updated, upgraded, new and improved on a package, we're all suckers for it. Like, we don't want the old version. We want the one, and it might be like the same thing. They just put a different package on it. But we don't want the ordinary one. We want the upgraded version. We want the new and improved version. We, we don't want a vacation in ordinary. When you set out to book your vacation this year, you, you didn't say, you know what, Let, let's find the ugliest place 
Is there any roaches in that Airbnb? If so, we'd probably like to do that one. We just want the basic one, nothing special. No, you, you want a beach in the background or some beautiful mountains. You, you, I mean, you, you're looking for something that's not ordinary. If you're married, you didn't want to marry ordinary. That, that's why you, man, when you were on the, and it sounds bad to say the prowl, but that's why you probably, I mean, you were looking, you, you weren't, you know, let me see if you're, you're dude, let me see the, the person that just seems normal, uh, not really pretty, and let me find that person, and that's the one I'm going after. No, it, like for me, and I've told some of you our story, man, I, I chased Lori down at college. It would be considered stalking today, uh, but 20 years ago, 21 years ago, it was okay. Lori and I went to Word of Life Bible Institute, and that, that year I saw her, and I started to put out kind of like people, you, you, you put out like investigators, you get your friends to go out and investigate for you, find out the information about the person. Then I went to Walmart and I got walkie-talkies, and my friend and I would have these walkie-talkies, and he would have it on the campus of the school I would, and he would kind of radio in if he saw Lori so that I could kind of make my way that, you know, to where she was. I mean, I worked really hard, and now you're like, you are, I don't know if I want to come to this church anymore. Why am I letting my children in here? Uh, but, but hey, it, it was good for that day. I, I mean, there's, there's different game now that you can do, but, uh, but that for me, that was good. And, and so obviously it worked. Three kids later, uh, things are going pretty well. But, but again, nobody, you don't want to be ordinary. You don't want to live in ordinary. You don't want to marry ordinary. You don't want to buy ordinary. You're looking to be extraordinary in, in some way in your life. Yet, and you know this, in our effort to be extraordinary, in our effort to be different, many times we're pretty ordinary. In our effort to take just the right picture, we end up being just like everybody else. In our effort to, to make just the right amount of money, we end up kind of fitting in with everybody else. And in our effort to be different, we find ourselves fairly ordinary. It doesn't have to be that way. In fact, this morning, we're going to look at a guy in the Bible by the name of Gideon that if anybody in the Bible had the word, I mean, if you look in the definition of ordinary and you're looking for a person to put by that word, you would put Gideon by it. His face would be right there. He, he was just a normal guy. In fact, he was a, a pretty much a coward, just normal. He didn't want to stand out. He didn't want to have his name anywhere. He just tried to stay kind of below the fray. And God ended up using this very ordinary man who was a coward to win the most lopsided battle in the history of his nation. He went from an ordinary man to his country actually coming to him and asking him to be their king. And it's from this, the life of Gideon, that we learn some lessons that whether you're seven years old or whether you're 77 years old, there's three lessons that I want us to pull from the life of Gideon that I think are very applicable to us today. If you, if you have your Bible or you have the app, you can, you can turn to uh, to. Where is it actually? Uh, Judges chapter 6. Uh, Judges chapter 6. And, and that's where we're kind of going to be this morning. But to understand Gideon and to understand how ordinary he was, you need to understand a little bit about the nation of Israel. 
The nation of Israel, if you're a history buff, you know they were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. Imagine growing up and literally not knowing anybody that hasn't been a slave in your family and then literally generations and generations, literally slavery was in their family for 400 years. They were slaves. Then a guy by the name of of Moses and Joshua, they, they came together, Moses first and then Joshua, and God used these men to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery. And God gave them a very special land. But then God said this to him. He said, all right, if you will just do this, if you will obey me, if you will not worship other gods, I will bless you, I will take care of you, you will have children and children. I mean, your nation will be strong if you'll just not worship idols. But they didn't listen. Does anybody not listen to God once in a while in their life? Probably. A couple of us. Well, Israel as a nation didn't listen. In fact... If, how many of you have ever seen the movie Groundhog Day? Seen Groundhog Day, the same thing happened over and over. Well, the nation of Israel had their own Groundhog Day movie going on. Because they, they had the same thing happen to them. You'd think they would learn, but here's, here's kind of the cycle. It was a vicious cycle. It's, here's what they would do. God told them to obey him, and here's what they would do. They would disobey God. God would judge them or punish them. They would cry out to God, and then God would deliver them. And you think, oh, well, good job they learned. Nope. All the way back to the front. God would say, hey, I want you to obey me. And then they would disobey God. God would punish them or judge them. They would cry out to God for deliverance. God would deliver them. And then, almost like raising a teenager. It was not really. I'm not making fun of teenagers in here, uh, because I was one. But, but it was just a vicious cycle. And so all of a sudden, Gideon finds himself. He's this ordinary guy that lives in this nation that literally is being judged by God because they've disobeyed God, they've worshipped idols, and Gideon is a very insecure guy, and he has a lot of reason to be insecure because here's what was happening. This is the way God was kind of punishing Israel. If you're a farmer, you would understand this, and I know we have a few farmers in here. Israel would work on their crops. How many of you have ever worked on a farm? Anybody? Got a a few people? I know we have some farmers down in this section over here. But if you've ever worked on a farm, you, you know this. You put a lot of work in for a lot of time for harvest. So, so you work all year, you put a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort. You may have put years into a certain crop. And it's what happens during that harvest that really feeds your family. That, I mean, that's where you make your money. And here's what was happening to Israel. They would work their crops. Their crops would begin to grow. It was harvest time. And then all of a sudden, these people called the Midianites would come down out of the hills would take all their harvest, would be like the big bully on the playground, and take all their food, all their animals, all their harvest, and take them back to their country, and Israel would be left with nothing. And then they did it the next year. And then they did it the next year. And for seven years, this bully, the Midianites, literally would come down. And so the nation of Israel and Gideon was so afraid 
of these people that continued to take everything they had and to kind of be the, the bully. And so here's what happens. Gideon, this ordinary guy, is hiding from the Midianites. And look at Judges chapter 6, and we, we pick up the story there, and we see the first lesson that we can learn from the life of Gideon, and it's simply this. God's call qualifies the called. Look at Judges chapter 6, verse 11. It says this, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So Gideon, he's threshing wheat and he's doing it in a wine press. You know why he's doing it in a wine press? Because he's scared. You're not supposed to thresh wheat in a wine press. You're supposed to thresh wheat somewhere kind of on a hill where there's wind. And he's hiding in this wine press, threshing wheat because he's afraid. And he's looking. He's afraid that the Midianites are going to come. It says this, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So either this messenger of the Lord had the gift of sarcasm or he was speaking into what Gideon was going to be. Because remember, he's hiding away, and this messenger from God comes to him and says, Hey, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. And, and then the conversation goes on. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So basically, Gideon starts whining. He's like, what, what are you talking about, mighty warrior? Excuse me, do you realize what's going on? Yeah, we hear about how God worked in generations before, but man, that right now things aren't going well for the nation of Israel. What's up with that? And the messenger just kind of ignores him and keeps talking. It says this, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And Gideon's like taking this in. He's like, what, what are you talking about? And, and he says, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Basically what he's saying is, In my nation... My family's the weakest, and I'm the weakest in my family. So what are you talking about? I'm going to save Israel. I'm a mighty warrior. Do you know who you're talking to? He's like, man, I'm, I'm like Barney, not Jack Bauer. I, I'm the guy, like, I'm not the guy that's going to be able to do this. I'm a wimp. What are you talking about? And then the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. See, Gideon was right. He was weak. He was scared. He was unequipped. He was unprepared. He didn't have what it took. He was right. But here's what he didn't realize. The power to do the task comes with the call to the task. 
See, Gideon didn't get it in his thought yet. He was just looking at himself. He was looking at his weaknesses. He was looking at his past. And, and he was right. He was a wimp. He was, nobody was afraid of him. But what he didn't realize and what hadn't really fixed in his mind yet was the power to do the task comes with the call to the task. See, Gideon, he wasn't quite sure what, what this messenger was talking about because all he was looking at was himself. And so here's what Gideon did. He said, you know what? I need a sign. Like getting a special messenger from God to come visit you wasn't sign enough. And so he says, you know what? I, I need some signs. I need you to show me. I'm not sure about this. And so in verse 17, it says this, Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Because he's thinking, is this just some bad pizza I had last night? Am I seeing things? I am not sure about this. I need a sign. And, and did God have to give him a sign? No. God didn't have to give him a sign. But God, in his mercy and in his grace, actually gave Gideon several signs to show him that God was exactly, God was going to do what he said he was going to do, and God was going to use Gideon. And, and here's what is so important for us to think about, because here's what I know, whether you're five years old or whether you're 85 years old, every single one of us has been called to things that we did not feel equipped for. And we have been, before we get too upset at Gideon, we've given God all the excuses. But here's what Gideon didn't realize that sometimes we don't realize as well. When God calls you, he is putting his reputation on the line. He will always come through. Sometimes we're worried for God's reputation, like, I don't know. And God's saying, you know what? My reputation's the one on the line. I'm just asking you to do what I've called you to do. It's me. I'm, I'm the one putting everything on the line. You just have to obey. And, and so the first thing that we learn as we look at this ordinary guy that God used in an extraordinary way is that God's call qualifies the called. His call on your life qualifies you and he equips you to do exactly what he asks you to do because we are weak. We are insecure. We can't do it on our own. And that's okay. He works in, in the best, he, he works in hearts and he does his best work in vessels that are unequipped to do the work he calls them to. Which leads us to the second lesson that we learn from the life of Gideon. The second lesson we learn, and, and if you're a, a student and you have your sheet there, you can write this down. Small victories at home prepare us for great victories in public. See, after God calls Gideon, he says, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. No, 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 I'm hiding, I'm afraid. What are you talking about? He says, no, 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 you're a mighty warrior. I'm going to use you to strike down this Midianite army. And... I, he gives him signs to just make sure that he knows. But then God does something else. Before Gideon goes to take on this big army, God gives him a smaller assignment. And, and, and you see it in chapter 6, verse 25. 
It says this, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Basically, Gideon, I want you to go to where your father lives. He has some idols built and I want you to go. I want you to tear down his idols. Then I want you to build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height using the wood from the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. And so Gideon, before you go fight the Midianites, I want you to do something else. You remember your house? You remember where that, your dad has that, that idol to Baal and to Asherah, that idol there? I want you to go, I want you to tear that down. And then I want you to build an altar to me and I want you to worship me in the same place that your dad has this altar to a false god. And, and so Gideon did exactly what God said. It says this, so Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. He's like, God, you didn't tell me when I had to do it. So I'm going to do it at night because I am a little afraid. I'm going to take 10 of my buddies with me and we'll go do it. But we're going to try to do it kind of where nobody knows because I know my daddy and I know his friends and they're not going to be happy. And so he does. He goes and he tears down the idols. He builds the altar and shocker of all shockers, the people weren't happy with Gideon. Just like he thought, he became a wanted man. In fact, his, his daddy's friends came to him and said, Hey, hey, I, I, we want to go kill your son because look what he's done. He's tore down our idols. He's made a mess here. He needs to be killed. He's a wanted man. We're going to go get him. And here's Gideon's dad. He was a quick thinker. And here's what his, his dad said. He said, Hey, Baal, let Baal take care of himself. If Baal's unhappy that his idol got tore down, if this false god's unhappy, we'll let Baal take care of my son. You leave my son alone. If Baal's what all that you think he is, he'll be all right. And so they're like, oh, yeah, that's probably true. And so they, they left Gideon alone. But, but here's what's interesting. See, and if you're not careful, we'll miss this in the story. I wrote this in my notes. It is an evidence of God's grace that he tasks us with small assignments before he tasks us with facing down an army. It's an evidence of how much God loves us and his grace to us that he would give us small assignments, just like this, before he asks us to face down an army. And if you look throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture you see this. You, you, you see David... Before he became king, he killed Goliath. Before he killed Goliath, he killed a lion and a bear. Before he killed a lion and a bear, he faithfully took care of his dad's sheep. You see all throughout Scripture how God, in His grace, does not ask us to do something that, that's going to scare us too much and actually gives us small assignments to be faithful with to prepare us for what He has for us in the future. And that's exactly what he did here with Gideon. Like, did God really need him to go tear down an idol? Like, there's an army out here that's going to take all of our crops. I think the idol will be okay. But before God had Gideon go tear or, or kill the army and, and kind of destroy it, he said, Gideon, you're not ready. 
I want you to do something that seems small compared to taking on this army. I want you to do that. And then you'll be ready. And so what's neat is Gideon's little scared, afraid, go in the middle of the night and tear down the altar. His obedience to this small thing is actually what inspired other people to join him to fight the Midianites. It says this in verse 34. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. Have you ever noticed this? People want to be brave, but nobody wants to be brave first. Have you noticed that? People want to be brave. They, they want to be a part of something bigger than them. They don't want to be afraid. They want to have courage. They just don't want to go first. And so Gideon's obedience to God in this small thing of taking down this altar, now as he put the call out, inspired all these other people to say, all right, we'll join We've been waiting for somebody to be brave. We've been waiting for somebody to step out. And we're going to join. And it's Gideon's obedience in the small things that inspired others to join him. I wrote this in my notes. Quiet faithfulness to God's call has the potential to inspire a movement. Sometimes, and every single one of us deals with this. You're, you're, you're a mom at home, you're taking care of kids, you're wiping noses and backsides, and you're, you're day, day in, day out, you're doing that, and you're thinking, man, and, and it's those faithful moments that nobody else sees that God may use to do something that is much bigger than anything we could ever imagine. You're, you're, you're faithful at your job. You're, you're doing something at your job that you don't love to do. And honestly, if you slacked off, nobody would know about it. But because of your love for God, you say, you know what, I'm going to be faithful. I, even if nobody knows my name, even if nobody tells me I'm doing a good job, I'm just going to be faithful at the small things in my life, not knowing that God's using all of this to prepare you for something else. And it's those moments in the quiet when nobody knows your name. You're a student. You're in, you're in school. You, man... Everybody else is kind of living the way they want to live. Everybody else is slacking off. Everybody else has this I don't care attitude. And it would be so easy to just kind kind of fall in line behind everybody else and do the same thing. And you know what, if, if you start to stand out, you, you know, somebody might actually call you something you don't want to be called. And so it's just so easy to be ordinary. Just kind of take it easy, not be faithful in the small things. And God's saying, you know what? In those small moments when you think nothing matters and it's not that big of a deal, those are the moments I'm preparing you to do something that to the world is a big deal. And it was this quiet faithfulness to God's call that inspired others to follow, which leads us to our final lesson. The final thing that we see in this life of Gideon, this this man who is very ordinary, 
that wanted to be ordinary, that had no, didn't, what, didn't have like a five-year plan to be anything important, God used in an extraordinary way. And the last lesson we learned from his life is simply this. My success is meant for God's glory. See, after Gideon has put out the call, 32,000 people join him. So you think, man, that's pretty good. Go from Gideon afraid in the wine press to now 32,000 people are ready to fight side by side with Gideon. And here's what God says. Gideon, I need to help you trim the ranks out a little bit. You've got too many people. And so it says this in verse 2 of chapter 7. It says, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. And Gideon's sitting there thinking, you know what? I'm not super bright, God. But if I can just do some simple math, I have 32,000. They have 132,000. I think we're okay, God. I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but man, 32, I mean, all of us have got to like take four or five out possible. I mean, we do have you on our side, so okay, the, the odds are okay. But trim the ranks, too many men, come on. God says, no, you got too many, Gideon. I love what God says. He's just straightforward. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Like Gideon, if I let you guys win with 32,000, you're just going to make this thing all about you. So I got to trim the ranks a little bit. And so here's what God does. He says, I'm going I'm to get two tests that are going to help trim the ranks. Here's the first test. I just need you to stand up in front of the, the army, your 32,000, and here's the first thing that you need to do to trim the ranks. Just say, are you afraid? If you are, raise your hand, and whoever raises their hand gets to go home. So Gideon does what God says, and all right, guys, no shame, no issue, no one's going to make fun of you. If you're afraid, raise your hand. All right, you guys can all go home. 22,000 men. I'm afraid. All right, go home. 10,000. All right, 10,000 against 132,000. Okay, we got to, that means we got about 13.2 men we got to take out each. Again, we have God on our side, so we might be okay. Still kind of lopsided, God, but no, you have too many, so there's one more thing I want you to do. I want you to take your 10,000 men, and I want you to go around the, 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 the lake or river, and I want you to let the men get a drink. And according to how they get down and get water into their mouth, I'm going to use that to show you who else needs to go home. All right, God, whatever. And so, all right, guys, here, get some water. And so God says, hey, if they, if they get down and they, they lap it into their mouth or if they kneel, there's like a certain way I want them to do it. And so bottom line is, after the water test, 300 men left. So 300, and I know there's a movie, 300 against 132,000. But at least they were going to have the, most, the best equipment known to man. You know what the equipment was these 300 men were going to take into battle? And once I tell you the equipment, you'll be like, oh, no problem. All right, 300 men, line up. I'm going to give you your equipment, and here's what you're going to get. You're going to get a clay pitcher. You're going to get a trumpet, 
and you're going to get a torch. So there's no tanks, no like, what, what do we get? Anything else, God? Nope. Line up, pitcher, and you guys from the south will put a little sweet tea in it. it you'll be good to go. So you get your pitcher, you get your trumpet, and you get your torch. And, and here's what, as you, you can understand, it's almost comical. You, you understand quickly that this story isn't about, isn't about a brave commander, but it's about a great God who used a willing man to do the impossible. And God, with the 300 men and the elite equipment that they have, they win. Follow, follow with me in verse 19. It says this. Gideon and the hundred men with him, he, he split the men up into three groups, so he took a hundred. With him reached the edge of the camp. And at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets, broke their jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And so here's the battle plan. You, you see it. All right, guys, when I give you the cue, blow your trumpet, break your jar, hold your torch up. And that's exactly what they're like, all right. Break my trumpet. And, and here's what happened. 132,000 Midianites in their encampment, they get confused. They, they hear this breaking of these jars. They see these lights. It's the middle of the night. They hear these trumpets. They have no clue that it's just three groups of 100 that are surrounding them. And they get really confused and flustered. And they start killing each other. And so the, the guys with Gideon are just sitting down here watching and all these people, they're starting to kill each other. Gideon's guys aren't even having to do anything. They're just watching these people kill one another. And, and as they begin to kill each other and then they begin to realize, man, something's wrong. This, the people that were still left in the Midianite army began to flee. They began to run. They were flustered. They didn't know what to do. And so Gideon at that point, then he gathers more men. He puts out the call again. And those 32,000 people rejoin. And, and they, they literally chase down the Midianites and they destroy the Midianites to the point where they, um, they, they've destroyed them. And now the people say to Gideon, you have helped us win this battle that literally we've been fighting and afraid of for almost a decade now. Can you be our king? And Gideon, he says, ah, I did not sign up to be your king. And, and he turns it down. But we see this ordinary afraid, below average, had no, like, didn't want to do anything great, was really good with just kind of staying under the fray all of his life, and God stepped in and used this man to do something extraordinary because of who God is, not because of who Gideon was. And so as you, as you think about how to apply, how do you apply this, this story of this man from thousands of years ago well, the question I want you to think about, whether you're five or whether you're 85, is this. Are you okay with ordinary? Are you okay with ordinary? I, I like the transparency in the room. 
And here's what I mean. Are, are you good with just staying in your comfort zone for the rest of your life? You good with kind of ducking anything that's hard or difficult that would maybe push you? I mean, is your best life now a few cool vacations, some, some fun posts on Instagram that get a lot of likes, and then maybe gathering a few more toys than your neighbor, and then kind of ending this thing? And is, that, is that what it's all about? Because that's pretty ordinary. That's pretty much what most people set out to do. See, Gideon, he could have lived his life and died ducking the Midianites and never making a difference. And so what do we learn? What can we take away? I want to give you three action steps. I want you to write this down if you're a, a kid or if you're an adult. Three things I want you to think about. The first one is this, right from the life of Gideon. Stop looking at your inadequacies and take a step towards what God has called you to do. Is anybody else in the room really good at seeing what they aren't good at or what they're not equipped to do or what someone else has that they don't have? Like if I could do that or if I had that personality, if I could kind of lead like that or if I you know, had that, then oh yes, God could use me. And God's like, no, 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 no. Stop looking at your inadequacies and take a step towards what I've called you to do. Quit looking around you. You just look at me and do what I've told you to do. Because you can live your whole life looking at what everybody else is doing, what everybody else has, what gifts you don't have, what you wish you could do, and you can go to your grave with a lot of regrets. So stop looking at your inadequacies and take a step towards what God has called you to do. Number two. Be faithful with the task God has given you today. Is any, don't raise your hand. Is anybody bored with the task God's given them today? Does anybody else have this happen to them in their mind where they're like, you know what, once we get to that, once we get here, once this happens, then it'll be good. Then, then things will be better. Is, is anybody else always looking towards the next thing and God's saying, would you just keep focused on what I've given you to do today? Would you be faithful in what I've given you to do today? Instead of always looking towards what's ahead which you don't even have guarantee you're going to be alive for what's ahead. So why don't you be faithful with what God's given us today? And then the last thing, the last step, and this is where some of us struggle. This is where I struggle. Stop trying to manage God and just obey Him. You try to manage God. Are you like getting like, God, I... 32, 132, are you sure, God? Are you sure you want to cut this army? God, it's just, if you really think about this strategically, I don't know if this is supposed to work. Did you not get enough sleep? Is there some fogginess or what's going on, God? And we try to manage God. Like God needs us. Like God needs us to sit down with Him and help Him plan out our life. And here's what God's saying, and here's what he did with Gideon. Hey, Gideon, you worry about you, I'll worry about me. You just obey, I'll take care of everything else. Don't try to manage me, just obey me. It works out better that way. I got this thing called like omniscience. 
all-knowing, kind of, kind of, I know a few more things than you, Chris, so stop trying to manage me and just obey me. I want us to just bow our heads and close our eyes. As we think about Gideon, as we think about his life, and, and I don't know about you, but maybe you can relate with Gideon. Maybe you're the person that when God calls you to do something, you have at least 15 reasons for God why you're not qualified, why he should choose somebody else, why his decision was wrong. Or maybe you're on the other side, and this might be even more dangerous, you think you are qualified. You think you do have what it takes. You think God got a good deal by you being on his team. And honestly, that's, that's probably even more scary. And just in the quietness of this room, if, if you're here and, and you're a follower of Jesus, God has not called you to ordinary. Sometimes what we think is ordinary is, is very extraordinary. Sometimes what we look at in our life and think, oh God, this is just boring. This is just the same thing every day. God's saying, don't you see what I'm trying to do in what you think is so ordinary? I want you to be faithful. I want to do something in this moment, in this task that I've given you that, that is bigger than you, but you've got to be obedient to me. I don't need to know the five reasons you're not qualified. I just need you to take a step and obey me because it's my reputation on the line. I just pray, and I want to pray for our church, and I want to pray for us as individuals, that we would be individuals, that we would be children, that we would be adults, that we would be families, and that we would be a gathering that is all for and quick to obey God, not to question Him. That we are all for being faithful in the small things that we think are small, but He knows isn't. And and what a privilege, if you're a grandma, if you're a grandpa, if you're a mom or dad, what a privilege we have to be an example to our children of what courageous obedience looks like in the small things and the big things. And I want to pray for us that we would be those examples. And for us to do that, we desperately need Jesus. God, I pray for each one of us. I pray for families. I pray for moms. I pray for dads. I pray for grandmas, for grandpas, for uncles, for aunts. I pray that we would be people that are such great examples, not because of who we are or what we have to offer, but because of who we're following and who indwells us. I pray that we would be examples to the next generation of what obedience and faithfulness looks like. And Lord, I do pray. I pray for the teenagers in this room. I pray for the children in this room. God, I pray that you would, at an early age, inspire them to be obedient to you. I pray that they would look past what this world has to offer and that they would look to what you've called them to do. And God, we pray that you would use the children and teenagers in this room 
to mark this city, this state, and this world for your kingdom. And Lord, we're so thankful for your gracious mercy in allowing us to be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.